This is Agency Side, telling the stories of starting, growing, and selling digital agencies. Sponsored by Natrular.com, the CRM system for SEOs and digital marketers. Now, here's your host, Rob Carey. I'm joined today by Matt Beswick and Paddy Moogan. At the start of 2015, they founded the digital marketing agency Era, which has since grown to a team of over 40 people based in the English town of Milton Keynes. Welcome to the show, Matt and Paddy. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having us. Hi, Rob. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Thank you. Could you tell us a bit about the services that Aero offers and what makes you different from your competitors? We are a full-service digital agency. So we offer SEO, PPC, and paid social, which is what we like to call kind of technical marketing, um, but also are very strong on the PR and content side of things. And the business is split roughly 50-50 between those, those two things. Um, the departments that we have are called acquisition, which again is the, the technical side of what we do, um, and, and PR and content. So it's it's grown really organically. And one of the things that we found over the years is that by kind of um, splitting ourselves that way, but having the crossover between the two departments, it means that we can offer a really kind of good wide range of services to the clients that we work with. Um, but also work out what they should be doing and what we should be helping them with. So we're not just tied to saying, look, we can only work on your SEO or we can only work on your PPC. Um, We spend a lot of time working out actually how to make businesses grow. And I think that's what really makes us stand out. We're not just an agency that says, we're going to deliver this service for you. We're an agency agency that works with clients to work out what they actually need and how their business is is going to succeed and then implement those things. We're not scared to kind of tell people that as well so if someone comes to us and says hey we need you to do seo for us but we see an opportunity maybe in uh, crm or sales or something like paid search or paid media uh, we don't mind saying that to them and saying okay what seo would work but also have you considered xyz channels as well because they may also help you hit your goals so yeah we don't mind having those conversations with clients to try and make sure that whatever we are going to deliver, like Matt said, focuses on the growth of the business, not just a specific channel. Um, obviously, sometimes clients will have that covered elsewhere, could be internally or through another agency, but we always like to ask the questions and make sure that if there is opportunity, the client's aware of it. And Paddy, I know you've got a strong background in SEO and even published the main industry book on link building. What percentage of your current work and revenue comes from SEO versus those other channels that you mentioned? Um, it's been reasonably well split over the years. Uh, so we've kind of got, as Matt said, the two teams. And as teams, they're definitely split relatively evenly. Like they do sometimes lean uh, one way or the other. Uh, but I think traditionally most of the revenue has come uh, from SEO and link building and content PR, that kind of stuff, uh, because PPC has been relatively smaller in terms of the team and the the capacity behind it also we're just not as well known as you said we've got a kind of a stronger reputation in seo than we have in ppc but over the last two two and a half years or so ppc has definitely grown um a lot so it's, it's not quite at the revenue levels of seo but it's definitely growing and the team's doing some really really good work there and kind of quietly doing really good work as well uh, so we're at the point now where we've established a really good team we've got really good processes in place so we expect that revenue to not just grow but start to compete with seo as well and start to kind of even things out a little bit which would be great because we think that uh, ppc is still a really important part of marketing despite 
kind of Google making it sometimes more difficult or more expensive uh, is definitely a really important channel. So we do think it's going to grow quite a bit. And you're based in Milton Keynes. I mean, what was the reason behind that rather than a major British city such as London or Manchester that most agencies are based in? You have to be careful to say that Milton Keynes isn't a major city. Um, <laughs> some of the uh, some of the people who love Milton Keynes will uh, will, will chase you down for saying that, uh, but it's a fair comment. Um, it was kind of by accident, to be honest. So Paddy was working for Distilled in in London, which I'm sure he'll, he'll talk about in a little while, um, and I was um, running a small agency. I've been freelancing for a long time in and around Milton Keynes. Um, I was in a shared space, which was about 10 or 15 miles outside of, of MK, um, kind of in the middle of a village, really kind of nice, nice little area out in the sticks. Um, but I just hired somebody who's actually still at Aero now, and she did a test run on the Sunday before she was due to start to try and work out how long it was going to take her to drive from Northampton to um, to this village, which was called Wing. And she kind of assumed that it was Milton Keynes. It wasn't. It was 20, 25 minutes further south. And at rush hour on a Monday morning, it was going to take her a long time. So she kind of called me and said, look, I, I really want this job. I really want to work with you, but I can't be doing this commute twice a day. So we very quickly kind of up sticks and found another shared space in the middle of MK, which was this massive kind of 4,000 square foot office that had three of us sat in at the time, absolutely freezing. Every time you moved, the lights um, came on. Every time you sat there still for more than three or four minutes, the lights went off again. So not a very nice place to be. Um, but that was that was how we ended up in Milton Keynes. To be honest, it was always the plan. When Paddy and I chatted about starting ERA, we decided quite quickly that Milton Keynes was, was going to be the place that we would base ourselves. And honestly, it's the perfect place for business. We are half an hour outside of London on the train, so really easy to, to get in and out of of there we're like relatively close to Birmingham as well there's great transport links up to Manchester but also there's massive companies in and around Milton Keynes and there's a lot of um, really good businesses really good brands that have their their head offices there so for us it's been the perfect place and we've uh, we've never I don't think Paddy might disagree but I've definitely never regretted it. Uh, No not at all I mean at the time I that we started there, I lived in South London, so I was commuting from South London up to Milton Keynes, and that definitely wasn't terrible, but wasn't fun either. But it, it was actually fine. I read a lot of books in that time, got a lot of work done on the train. Uh, but as Matt said, it's been a really good move. Um, I think before we started in Milton Keynes, I was definitely um, in that London mindset bubble. Uh, I'd worked in London for five or six years, and kind of felt that you had to be in London to recruit people to grow all that kind of stuff. And as Matt said, that's not really kind of been the case. Uh, we've grown really well, recruited really well. And as far as we're aware, never kind of lost out to business or anything like that because we're not in London. So it's worked out really well. And I think also from a recruitment perspective, um, some people at work at the company have either worked in London in the past and don't want to do the commute anymore or don't want to pay massive rent and high prices um, or they just don't want to have to commute into London to have a, a good career that pays well and good options for progression and stuff like that. So it's worked out quite well because we've created what essentially could be a London type agency with the kind of perks and benefits and things like that involved and the kind of clients, but without having to be in London, which has worked out really well. And I gather from your accents, especially Paddy's, that uh, neither of you grew up in Milton Keynes. Uh, where do you call home growing up? Yeah, my home growing up was Birmingham. Uh, so I lived in Birmingham what, until 
until 2010, which is when I moved down to London when I got a job at Distilled. So I was in London for uh, seven or eight years before moving back up towards the Midlands. And I live uh, just outside of Birmingham now, in a place called uh, Lamington Spa, uh, which is about an hour's drive from, from Milton Keynes. So not quite Birmingham still, but certainly up in the Midlands. Yeah, and I grew up in Staffordshire, so I was born just outside a little village called Rudyard, which apparently is the village that Rudyard Kipling was named after because of the lake. Um, and that's fairly close to Stoke-on-Trent, so it's disappeared now, but I had I definitely had a, uh, a Stoke twang to my accent uh, while I was growing up. And then slowly but surely, I kind of moved down here. So um, we moved down to Cheshire when I was 15. Then after uni, I ended up down in Kent and, uh, yeah, slowly but surely moved my way up to uh, up to Milton Keynes. Very nice. Now, Paddy, you studied law at Coventry University and Matt, you studied computer science at Chester University. Do you think that university helped either you in your careers? And if you could turn back time, would you still go that route or choose a different path? For me, it was the right thing to do. I um, I took the wrong path with my A-levels. I didn't do anything around computers, even though that was what I did in my spare time and, and what I loved doing. So I kind of corrected that when I went to uni. And I learned a lot. The first year was quite easy, if I'm honest, because I'd already learned a lot of the stuff that we we were supposed to be learning in the first year. Um, but it got harder in, in years two and three. And I've definitely carried it forward into what I did next. And just having that understanding of the fundamentals of how networks work and how the internet works and the coding that, that went alongside that has, I think, set me up to really understand SEO. And as time goes on, you know, PPC with machine learning and, and that kind of stuff, we were already talking about it back then, you know, all those years ago when I was at uni. So, yeah, it's definitely helped and I wouldn't choose a different path. And I guess my, my degree couldn't be any more different on all of those things. I think that it helped me in some ways. I mean, on a practical front, um, doing law helped because now I kind of get lumped with all of our contract negotiations and drafts and things like that. Uh, even though there's a hell of a lot more to becoming qualified than just a law degree, I have kind of picked up a lot of that stuff, which um, the law degree has probably helped with a little bit. Um, I think where it's helped a bit more was actually some of the softer skills around my degree. So things like um, writing uh, essays, writing papers, that kind of stuff, and researching law and citing sources and case files and stuff like that. That's definitely helped from, a, I guess, a writing perspective. And also there was a lot of times where you had to present uh, arguments and present cases and dis- discuss points of law. And I think that presenting side of things I didn't know at the time, but it's definitely helped me since then um, because that kind of practice, that kind of experience uh, always comes in handy, whether you're presenting something internally or to a client or yeah, doing any kind of debate or argument, um, those kind of skills come back and help. Uh, so yeah, law itself helps a little bit. Um, I can't remember most of my degree, if I'm being honest, and some of it I switched off throughout. But yeah, I've definitely carried some stuff through to my career, but it's very, very different to the world of SEO and PPC. So you're basically saying you're good at arguing, Paddy, which I've never really thought about it. And honestly, while we've been running error, we haven't fallen out very many times at all. But when we have, I always know that I need to be bringing my A game to have a, a discussion or an argument or a heated discussion with uh, with Mr. Mugen. Actually, my old boss, Will, still taught me about it. And I've only just kind of connected some of the dots here in my head, which is that he told me that being able to argue something can be a, a dangerous superpower and the idea being that if you argue something can, can always win you can often argue 
points that where you're actually wrong, but you can still win. And it's like, I remember him telling me that years ago and something he was actually very, very good at was was doing that if he really, really wanted to. Um, so yeah, I kind of learned some skills there, but being aware of when actually you can argue a point and win, but you may still be wrong is quite important. I've probably not done that too many times over the years, but I know that I've definitely fallen into the trap of that once or twice at least. But yeah, generally we don't argue too much, but when we do, it's definitely more of a, a debate and kind of figuring out the right solution as opposed to anything too bad, which is a good thing. I've definitely heard worse from different founders. And uh, Matt, after leaving university, you started climbing the corporate ladder, joining Sopra Stereo, which is an IT consulting firm, turning over about 4 billion euros a year. But after three years as a project manager there, you left and started building Facebook games. How did that come about? Um, completely by accident. So yeah, I, I always knew that I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to run my own business ever since I was growing up. So I just didn't know quite how that would end up happening. And the last thing I expected was to be making Facebook games as the, the first thing that I did on my own. Um, but yeah, I was um, I was working for Steria. I'd um, kind of got myself onto the grad scheme there straight after uni and I was working down in, in Kent and then moved up to um, Hemel Hempstead. Um, and my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, um, I had had this idea. So I created a Facebook game that had a few thousand people playing it, was nothing special at all, but we could kind of see there was some potential there. And Nicola was like, look, people love dogs, make a game that lets somebody adopt a dog on Facebook. So I did, and I kind of hacked it together. And as Paddy will know very well, I'm definitely not a coder, but I can kind of copy and paste and, and make stuff work, which is exactly what happened. And yeah, this game just completely took off. We went from nothing to about 150,000 daily players in the space of a few months with no marketing spend, just putting some kind of viral channels in and doing things that maybe you wouldn't be allowed to do on Facebook now because at the time it was the Wild West. And it just, it went nuts. And we both left our jobs after a few months and kind of traveled around the world and, and built this game and then ended up doing um, kind of more client stuff as well. And were you building social media games up until the start of era or working on other projects as well? Um, no. So the, the, the game that we built, the, the main one, has been around for a long time and it's still still kind of there now. It broke a few months ago and I need to get around to fixing it because there's still a few hundred people that, that would want to play it. Um, but no, we'd we definitely moved on from there. And like I say, building those Facebook games kind of let me start to do my own thing. And from there, I accidentally fell into SEO. We um, we could see that the the Facebook games weren't going to be a forever thing. You know, you had bigger companies like your EAs of this world coming into the space. So we opened our own retail site selling pet supplies. And when you do that, you think, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll just set up a website and people will come. Or you set up a site and people don't come. So we had to learn quite quickly how to market that. And that's how I got into SEO. And um, running my own site kind of then led into doing some consultancy and building up a client base and working freelance and then running a smaller agency, which obviously then transitioned into Era. And Paddy, after a short stint at a local marketing firm, you joined the London-based agency Distilled in 2010, as we uh, chatted about before. Distilled is probably best known for their strong ties to Rand Fishkin and Moz, or SEO Moz as it was back then. In fact, Rand sent most of his sales leads and contacts to Distilled in part of a partnership they had together, where Distilled also invested a lot of their time in answering questions and writing articles for Moz. You must have learned a lot in those five years that you spent there and seen tremendous growth. Yeah, definitely. And I think that uh, those five, five and a half years or so were really good for, I guess, seeing 
how a company grows. I think distilled were around, I think about 15 to 20 people when, when I joined in 2010. And I think they had just opened the Seattle office, uh, which was part of our partnership with Mars. And I think a couple of years later, they opened their New York office as well. So seeing that growth and being part of it was, was great, great experience. Kind of my kind of, I guess, introduction into that world of really big business growth and some of the things that happened, yeah, it was great because it it's kind of helped me see what could be coming with error. So seeing the kind of challenges you get when you get to 20, 30, 40, 50 people, what kind of client challenges you get, what kind of issues you get around margins and things like that. Um, whilst you know, not all of it I've used necessarily, I think we have definitely been able to either avoid or reduce some problems that error could have had because of that experience at Distilled. So that's worked out quite well. Um, and I think towards the end of Distilled, especially because I was part of the leadership team there and running the London office, so I had more accountability and knowledge around profit and loss uh, sheets, balance sheets, that kind of stuff was becoming more and more my responsibility. So that's definitely helped um, things with error now. And just that understanding that basic level knowledge definitely helped for sure. Now, at the end of 2014, something big happened. You both attended the MozCon conference in Seattle, but then flew to Las Vegas together and decided to start an agency. How did that come about? I'll probably let Matt lead on that one because it was his decision to actually change the flights in the first place, so he can probably tell that story. Yeah, so it's all a bit blurry. Um, For anybody who hasn't been to MozCon, it's quite an intense environment. So you're kind of there and there's a lot of conference talks over three days. There's a lot of alcohol over three nights and and not very much sleep. So it is all a bit of a blur. But um, I remember Paddy was was there speaking. Um, I'd flown out with my wife and and Paddy's wife was was there as well. And we crossed paths before this and um, kind of uh, met a few times and were starting to become friends as well. And I remember that we were either having some food or having some drinks with Paddy and Ellie, and we were both flying to San Francisco the next day. And then Nicola and I were due to fly home after that, and Paddy and Ellie were going to Vegas. And just off the cuff, they were like, you guys just come to Vegas with us as well. Change your flights, and and we'll have a few drinks, and we'll have some fun in in Vegas. And Nick and I were kind of like, yeah, 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 we'll do that. And then we got back to the hotel room, and we were like, we could go to Vegas, couldn't we? But there's no way we're going to be able to change those flights. So picked up the phone to, to Virgin, and I'm sure 99 times out of 100, the airline's going to tell you to do one. But for whatever reason, they didn't. The lady I spoke to turned around straight away, and she was like, yeah, I can change that over for you. Um, it's not going to cost you any more, because I think the flights were possibly cheaper going back from Vegas than they were going back from San Francisco. And it just all worked out. So next thing we know we were flying to vegas together and uh, and ready to drink some whiskey and your agency's name era is a play on the name of the aria hotel in vegas that you stayed in that week isn't it um yeah that's right and i'll let paddy tell you the story of how we kind of decided to start the company and, and came up with a name yeah so we we're actually sat i think it was the second day we was in vegas and matt and i decided to meet for a drink uh, we were stopping in the aria hotel anyway we met downstairs in one of the bars uh, in the casino and just started chatting about starting a business together. And I think it took probably 20 minutes, half an hour to actually agree on things and have a rough plan of what we wanted to do. Uh, and yeah, we were sat in the Aria Casino at that time. And then I think the actual name itself, Era, uh, came from a few months later where myself and my wife Ellie were sat at a pub in London on a Friday night getting a bit drunk and we decided to brainstorm uh, company names and we've started writing them down on the napkin 
had some horrifically terrible ones in there. And then um, we started messing about with words that were backwards and then tried a few different things and eventually tried ARIA backwards and came up with error. I had a really quick Google and found that um, error.net was available. Uh, so it felt like there was a bit of a chance there of that working. Um, and then we kind of forgot about it until the following day and then um, woke up with this napkin with all these names on. I think I texted Matt at the time and suggested it. And then it kind of, that was it really. And we've actually still got the napkin in a frame in the error office, which is obviously a bit empty at the moment. Uh, but yeah, we still got it because my wife found it a few years later in one of her notebooks. Uh, so we've now got it framed in the error office with error kind of circled in pen amongst lots of other really terrible names. Now, I'm a big fan of whimsical brand names, but what happened when you realised that you wouldn't be able to buy the .com of your new company's name? I mean, most people would choose a different name at that point, but you went ahead with the .net domain. And Paddy, I guess you have some experience of the pros and cons of this, as Distilled, the agency you worked at before, also was on a .net domain and unable to buy the .com. Yeah, that was right. I'm not sure if they bought the .com now, but I remember when I was there, they moved from... Uh, distilled.co.uk to distilled.net when the US offices opened so I do remember that process quite well um, and it was never really a problem I mean .com is obviously preferable but a .net isn't that far behind um, it's obviously still worldwide it's not tied to a specific country so it can be a long-term thing um, but also it just didn't feel like that big a deal to not have the .com and I think the .com wasn't being used at the time it was actually redirecting to some random uh, Canadian website so it wasn't like there was no brand out there with it um, that we were going to have to compete with or be worried about so it didn't feel like a bigger deal at the time um, at least I don't think it is now to be honest era.net has just stuck really well um, we keep an eye on the .com may go after it again at some point but it's never really been a problem to be honest It was actually an upgrade so we we started with eradigital.co.uk and I think it was eradigital.com as well didn't we um, and then we randomly found that the .NET was available at a bit of a price, but it wasn't horrendous. So, yeah, I think, you know, looking back on it, Aero.NET was a, a massive upgrade from uh, from what we had originally. Now, I must own a thousand domain names, most of which are barely worth their renewal fee. And a few of the .coms, they have a real company trading on the .NET or .co.uk or typo version of that name. And you'd be surprised at how many of their emails I get, sales leads even, with people just guessing that the company must be on the .com, which I actually own. Do you think that choosing a relatively complicated company name and launching on the .NET has hurt your growth at all? I mean, did you consider rebranding at the start or perhaps even recently? I mean, I didn't until you said that. And now I'm worried that whoever it is in Canada owns the .com has, uh, has stolen a load of our business. But um, no, I, honestly, not at all. It's never been something that crossed our minds. Uh, the domain, yeah, it's, it's never been an issue. Um, people don't really know how to say ERA. We get IRA and ARIA, obviously, as well, and, and all kinds of different pronunciations. So if we were ever going to rebrand, I think it would be because of that, not because of the domain. Now, you're listed on the Moz Recommended Agencies page and have been there almost since the start of the agency. And I know from the agency that I used to own, that probably one in five new business leads came from that page. How significant has the Moz recommended page and connections to Moz been to your agency? Yeah, it's been really helpful. And I think particularly in those early days when we were getting going, I think we got onto the list around seven or eight months uh, into Era being a, a real company. So it's definitely helped us from the start. 
Um, I think that the longer time's gone on, I think firstly the list has grown. I think there's probably an extra 10 or so uh, companies on that list since we joined it, which obviously makes it a bit more competitive. Um, but also I think because Mars has become so popular, because so many people visit the site, we still do get leads from it. Um, but the quality can vary massively because um, I think people sometimes email four or five companies on the list without necessarily knowing if we're the right company for them, because sometimes we won't be. Um, but it's worked quite well for our US footprint, so getting clients in the US, because that's where Mars is probably more known than the UK slightly. Uh, it's been definitely good for that, and we still get good leads through it, so it's definitely been helpful. Um, I think it's one of those things as well that as time has gone on, has uh, continued to send us leads, but as we've become more well-known generally, it's been offset with other sources of leads as well so it's kind of balanced out a little bit now but in the early days it definitely helped a lot. Outside of Moz where do most of your new business leads come from? I know that you've got a very popular book and a popular email list as well and you speak at a lot of conferences what do those leads come from? Um, yeah pretty much everything that you mentioned there so um, as you say we, we do a lot of conference speaking maybe not so much at the moment but we've done quite a lot of um, online events over the last six months or so um, we publish a lot of content. Obviously, you know, Paddy has some quite close ties to Moz and, and writes there reasonably frequently. Um, but also referral and word of mouth. And we've always had this belief that if we build the agency that we want to and we do a great job for our clients, um, that everything will be kind of paid back in kind. So the amount of times that we've had marketing managers move on for roles and bring us into their new companies um, or had people mention the work that we've done for one business and they happen to be speaking to somebody else at an event or a conference or on Facebook or on Twitter or, or wherever else it is and um, and then they reach out. So it, it's been it's been very, very organic. We probably could have built um, Aero faster and, and been bigger at this point. Um, but we've never wanted to kind of overstretch and we've always wanted to make sure that we were growing in a way that let us do the best possible job and, and was as, as sustainable as possible. And I think, you know, up until now, we, we've done a good job of that. That might need to change over the next couple of years or so. You know, you, you get to a certain scale and um, you can't just rely on those referrals and word of mouth and, and goodwill if you want to grow at the pace that we want to grow at and you want to achieve what we want to achieve with Aero. You need to start looking at outbound channels as well. And, and that's something that we're starting to do now. Before COVID-19, people would judge the size and success of your agency by how big your office was and how many global offices you had as well. But nowadays, most agencies are actually trying to close their offices or downsize them as much as possible. I know you mentioned the US before, but do you have any plans to expand ERA into the US, Europe or Australia? And if so, how would you see this working in terms of staffing and offices? Yeah, sure. So um, I think before COVID, this answer might be a little bit different, but in light of what's happened uh, this year, I think, well, firstly, we're not downsizing our office. Uh, We just moved into one before COVID um, and we've got plenty of space there, which right now with people going back in bit by bit is a good thing, but there's no plans to downsize or anything uh, like that. And we've definitely got room to grow uh, within that office. Uh, But in terms of other countries, uh, other locations, um, no immediate plans, to be honest. And I think that what COVID's probably done is make us realise things like we can hire people from remote locations. So, for example, if we did want to expand more into the US, there's ways of doing it now without necessarily opening uh, a fixed office with a long lease and that kind of stuff. So there's definitely ways of doing it if we wanted to. But I think for the moment, we're concentrating very much on uh, the UK. We want to build a really great, great place to work here. There's plenty of clients here that we want to work with and we could do a good job for. So whilst kind of you know US, Europe, Australia, 
very attractive for a bunch of reasons. Um, I think we want to stay focused and not spread ourselves too thinly. And we think there's plenty of opportunity here to be growing the business and, and doing a really good job, which, as Matt said, is what it's all about. I mean, we could tomorrow say, okay, we're going to open a, an East Coast office or a West Coast office or a Sydney office just to look good and say, hey, aren't we cool? But that's not really what we're about. We're, like Matt said, we're doing it sustainably. We're doing it in the right way. And we're doing it in a way that we think is going to work for us over the next few years. My old agency probably had less than 50 clients, but the clients that we did have were um, high in value and highly profitable as well. We'd meet them in person almost every week and we'd wine and dine them at high-end restaurants quite regularly. In fact, it was almost an expectation from them. None of this is really possible anymore, though, it seems. How do you think that the agency-client relationship has changed and will change post-COVID-19? It's a really interesting one. And... It kind of goes back to what Paddy said before about it not really being us wanting to have the kind of big shiny stuff and seeing that has been massively important. Like we, we get it. The relationship between agency and client is personality-led as well as delivering great services, and, and, and that's important and it always will be. But we're kind of of the opinion, and this might be slightly naive, that you don't need to do all of that kind of big, fancy, expensive restaurant stuff to build those great relationships. Now, we've invested massively in our account management function over the last few years to make sure that um, the people that are client-facing and are working with clients really know their stuff and build those relationships by helping our clients grow their businesses. And that's what clients want, right? Whether you're a marketing manager in a large corporate or a um, marketing manager in an SME or a smaller business owner, you want your agency to do a great job. And yes, you want to like them. And yes, it's important that you get on with them. But we don't think that you need to do all of that other stuff to build those really great relationships. Um, yeah, there's a time and a place for it. And we are definitely not adverse to going out to Hawksmoor and, uh, and buying a steak or two. But it's kind of, um, it, it's helping us at the moment because we already have those relationships. We already know how to build those relationships remotely because we've been doing it for, for so long. And we work with clients in the US that we've we've built up over the years and, and we work very closely with. We've learned how to build that rapport and we've learned how to kind of consult while making friends in inverted commas. So yeah, it might change things. But for us, it, it hasn't changed how we're, we're approaching, how we're building the, the business. We're, we're carrying on as normal and you know, yeah, things have changed a little bit, but we haven't seen a massive impact. And do you think that the whole remote working situation and also agencies moving out of the major cities, do you think this just gives the clients an excuse to try and lower their agency rates because of that? I don't think we've seen that yet. We've definitely heard of that. And we've definitely heard people saying that that's um, a lever that's being pulled at the moment, but we haven't seen it. And I don't think that it's right if that's the case. Now, we spend a lot of time on training and on our people and making sure that they have the best possible environment to work. And that comes at a cost. Whether you have a big office that, that sat there or you're investing in your people and making sure that they have a really comfortable place to work from home, it's still an expensive hobby hiring people. When you put the amount of time and effort into training them and, and, and making them the best that they possibly can be, um, the office is is expensive, but it's not that expensive. So, yeah, if, if a client came to us and said, look, you're working remote, so can you not 20% off our bill yet? I think we've got a valid, quite strong argument to, to say that that probably shouldn't be the case. 
You're both quite open and vocal on social media about what's going on at ERA, and I read on Twitter that you've put some of your team onto furlough, like many of the UK agencies did. Furlough being the UK government's programme for paying employees' salary when a company can't do so because of COVID-19. How has the pandemic affected ERA in terms of revenue, clients and staff morale? And is the immediate future looking positive for you? Uh, yeah, so it's definitely been, I'd say, a tough year uh, because of COVID, like it has been for, for many companies, not just obviously agencies like us. It definitely affects us. So the, when it first started and started to get real in the UK, kind of the beginning of March time, we were kind of okay. We unfortunately had to cancel one of our well, our first event, uh, which was meant to be our first conference because of worries around you know, bringing you know, 300 people into a room. That wasn't the right thing to do at the time. But a couple of weeks later, we were still kind of okay. A couple of clients had paused. A few clients were starting to make noises around struggling. But generally, we were riding that wave um, okay. And then there was a period of probably two to three days where uh, it just felt like everything, like the sky fell all at once where we lost um, or had a few really big clients pause their accounts all at the same time. Um, and you kind of always plan for that scenario where what happens if this happens or what happens if that client leaves. And, but you never expect it all to happen at once and for your pipeline to drop off at the same time uh, and for you all to go working remotely at the same time. So um, it definitely hit us quite hard. Um, we probably lost, give or take, about half of our revenue in the space of a couple of weeks, um, which was definitely hard to see. I mean, me and Matt had many late evening conversations about what was going on and what we could do about it, but the truth was there wasn't very much you could do. It was one of those things where uh, we hadn't done a bad job, we hadn't done anything wrong, neither of our clients. It was just a situation unfolding in front of us that we had to deal with. So it was definitely really difficult. Um, I think we're at a point now where we are... Uh, if not back to where we were, we're very close to where we were in terms of revenue and uh, clients coming back again, which is is good. Um, so that's really positive because we've seen a big dip this year. But you know, July and August, people started to come back and get a bit more confidence back in in their businesses and budgets. So things have improved since then. Uh, so yeah, the initial outlook is is looking good. Um, we don't think that COVID is done with us just yet, uh, even though uh, as a business we're growing again we're back to where we were and um, we're likely to as a company and as an industry and you know as a as a country i guess be seeing the effects of this for a, a while longer yet um so yeah we're not out of the woods yet but we're definitely looking a lot, a lot more positive than we were um a few months ago i think the experience of this year shows that what we did around building error in a sustainable way has been the right thing to do so yeah we lost a reasonable amount of our revenue and, and that paused but it has come back and those relationships that we built up are a big part of that. But also, we were pretty cash rich. So when all of this started, we didn't have to hit the panic button and and kind of plug the revenue gap really, really quickly. We had some time to be able to step back, take a breath, look at what was going on and, and work out how we were going to get through it. And the furlough scheme was just one part of that. Yes, we used it and we put a, a reasonable amount of the team on furlough for, uh, for a few months. Um, but slowly but surely, everybody came back in. And we're at the point now where we are back up to, to full strength as well. So, yeah, I think um, I, I think by accident, we were kind of waiting for something to happen. And um, being, well, Paddy's a Brummie and I'm a farmer's son. So, you know, we were never going to go spending more than, uh, than we should do. And, and I think doing that was has been proven to be the right thing to do. Yeah, it sounds like you weather the storm well and uh, you're back on course again, which is great. Other than the amount of wrinkles and uh, lost hairs or grey hairs, yeah, we're, we're fine. Well, I think we all get those anyway, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. 
And Paddy, you mentioned just uh, earlier about the conference that you had to postpone because of COVID-19, and that's the MK Go conference, a digital marketing conference that's held at Red Bull Racing's Formula One headquarters, a, a very cool venue. If uh, you haven't seen it before, it's definitely worth having a look. And I was just wondering, like, sort of, if you hold that conference really to promote Aero's brand, or is it about promoting Milton Keynes even itself and trying to make it be seen more as a business hub? And if you look at places like Austin, Texas and Boulder, Colorado in the US, they've been totally transformed by becoming kind of business incubator towns. And I'm just, I suppose I'm asking uh, how much of Milton Keynes is part of Aero's DNA and how much of this conference is about promoting Milton Keynes itself? Yeah, I think to be honest, it, it did play a big part in this, uh, in the decision to run a conference and to run it the way that we were planning to. Um, so as you mentioned, the venue itself uh, was amazing and it, well, I've been to a bunch of conferences and so was Matt and I, I, I generally think it's one of the most unique venues that would have ever hosted an SEO conference and it will host one one day soon, hopefully. Um, but I think that was really special to, if we're going to do it, do it properly. And we had a big conversation around okay if we are going to do a conference like this it does have to be really high quality has to be really good and the venue is a big part of that uh, but also getting um a, a wide range of speakers uh, particularly from the us so we got uh runs from mars we got will reynolds from sia Brittany from mars at the time you have some really kind of high profile speakers that to put it bluntly probably never been to milton keys in their lives or even heard of it and we were trying to bring them across and kind of put an audience in front of them who I'd never seen them speak before and uh, in a venue that was really special and somewhere that was a bit different to having to go to London for that kind of thing or go up north or something like that. So I think it did play a big part in our thinking that Milton Keynes had never really had this kind of thing before and we wanted to promote it. Um, And I think as a business, uh, sorry, as as a city and kind of being part of our DNA, Milton Keynes is a surprising place because they do invest a lot in, in businesses and technology. They are, one of the most forward-thinking cities, which you wouldn't think uh, unless you're there and you're part of it. They do invest a lot in infrastructure. They invest a lot in uh, the latest technology for businesses. So I, I, I do think they are trying to make it into a business hub. It, obviously, it's quite difficult with London only 30 minutes away, uh, but I think they are really investing in that side of things because they know that if businesses can uh, thrive there and do a good job and, and earn good revenues, then that's only going to be a good thing for the local economy and people who live there and that kind of stuff so i think it's definitely part of our, our dna we're we're proud to be there like matt says worked out really well for us um i think it will be an important part of what we're doing moving forward as well because we, we genuinely think that we're doing a great job um in the uk but definitely in milton Keynes, and we think one of the agencies are leading the way there so we've learned that Aero is a very successful agency and because of that you've probably received a number of merger or takeover offers in the past and after six years of growth why have you resisted the opportunity to cash out so far? Is there a plan to IPO or float the company in the future or do you see the company as kind of your retirement plan even? Yeah so we have definitely had offers approaches over the years uh, when you've grown a business like we have and like I said earlier Rob we um, are active on social media we speak at conferences we do get attention so naturally you are going to get those kinds of approaches from companies that may want to invest into you or acquire you or something like that so it's quite semi-regular occurrence and it's something we've gotten used to now it hasn't happened so far uh, for a bunch of reasons but I think the main thing for me and Matt and this has been the same since day one is that we genuinely want to build a great place to work but also we want to enjoy 
working there. And if we're building a company that doesn't do that and we don't enjoy working there, then you know what's the point? You know, it's not really worth it. So our focus has always been on that. So if we were ever going to go down that route, if someone came along and wanted to acquire us or, or invest something like that, it's not about, all about the money. It's just as much about, well, are we going to enjoy this? Are we going to uh, have an opportunity to still do what we want to do? Are we going to be miserable for three or four years whilst we do this? So that's a, just as big a part of it as well, as well as the team. We don't want the team to be part of something and not have any benefit from it or again be miserable for three or four years because they're part of a much bigger corporate company who makes their lives hell you know there's a lot more to it than just a cash and go element uh so it's something which i don't think we would ever rule out but if we were going to do it it has to be right for us it has to be right for the team has to be right for the company long term because otherwise you know we could have cashed out years ago you know we had i think we had our first kind of semi-serious offer within 12 months of starting so if we did want to cash out and just take the money and run we could have done it by now but that's definitely not what we want to do building an agency isn't easy especially when it grows past the original founders do you have any regrets about starting an agency and what do you find hardest i mean do you miss working for anybody else for me not really i mean i i loved my job at distilled i loved the job at the agency before that as well so i've been quite lucky to have been at two agencies where I've had a good time, enjoyed my time there and had good bosses. So I, whilst I don't miss working for someone else, uh, I still look back on that time as something I definitely enjoyed. I don't think I've got any regrets about starting an agency at all. I think the only thing I'd look back on uh, kind of before that point is I do wish from a personal perspective, I'd spent just a little bit of time working in-house. Uh, I'd always worked at agencies. Um, and I think that balance of experience versus uh, agency and in-house and having that wider experience would only be a good thing so whilst it's not something that I think has held us back um from a very personal perspective I've always wondered just what it'd be like and I think the benefit of working in-house is you often get the the um opportunity to see how different agencies work and you can see how they pitch how they structure projects and the opportunity to learn about that side of things I'm certain would have helped me with error so it's not a regret as such but if I did go back and change something before starting era um i probably would have done that yeah agreed i'm i'm not employable so definitely have no regrets of, of starting an agency and as paddy will attest as well i get bored quite quickly so um being able to work in an agency that has a lot of things going on with a lot of different types of clients and a lot of services means that i'm able to kind of focus on one thing for as long as my concentration allows me to and then move on to something else and um, it's probably quite frustrating working with me at, at some points, but I think overall it, it, it works out okay. And what does the future hold for Aero? Keeping going with, with what we've done, but being better and getting better and, and, and growing, but in the right way. So one of the things that we've noticed over the last few months is that the two departments that I mentioned earlier on, um, as we've grown, the kind of outcome of that has been that we have become more siloed. So we're trying to bring everything together. And what we have in the business at the moment are some amazing service offerings and some amazing people, but we know that they're not working together as closely as they possibly could do, which means that sometimes we're not able to put across the fact that we can deliver all of these great services in tandem to, to our clients. So one of the next things that we're working on is, is making sure that that can happen. And we've got a plan over the next three to six months to, to kind of um, bring that forward. Um, but also more growth. So we've got the experience now where we're working with much larger businesses. 
we are still able to service the SME market in a really, really good way. Um, and yeah, like I say, um, it, it's it's kind of more of the same, but bigger and better and new ideas and, and coming up with new services as well that we can offer. A lot of our listeners are probably at the very start of growing their own agency. If you could give a new agency founder one piece of advice, what would it be? That's a good question. I think I was going to go back and give some advice. I think it would always be, when you're making decisions, it can be very easy just to look at what's in in front of you. So if you're a five-person agency, let's say, you're making decisions for those five people, uh, makes a lot of sense. But I think what we've learned over the years and what me and Matt, I think, do a lot at the moment and I think where we're actually adding the most value is imagining, okay, we've got 40 people right now. How does this answer to this question look if we've got 50 or 60 or 70? So we're not just thinking about the here and now, but we're actually looking forward. So I think if I was going to give someone some advice starting an agency now, it would be to sometimes balance kind of where you want to be versus where you are right now when you're making decisions. Um, Because what I think it does is just helps foresee some problems a bit more and helps you probably avoid some problems uh, as well as you start to grow. Because if, you, if you're planning on growing, you need to think about, you know, what the agency is going to look like with 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, and make decisions with that in mind. You might not change things too much, but I think you need to keep one eye on the future there so that when you do grow, you're doing it in a way that you've kind of almost planned for and envisioned from the start. Yeah, agreed. And I think one tactical thing that I would say that, that ties into that, and this is a very me answer, so Paddy might might laugh, but you need to know your numbers properly from the start. And we always say you don't run a business on a spreadsheet. You know, you're not making decisions about people or departments or clients based on a spreadsheet, but you need to have that data behind you to help inform those decisions. So whether it's projecting out what revenue looks like over the next 6, 12, 24 months, or being able to look back and, and look at where the gaps are and, and maybe where clients that you're working on aren't profitable or are profitable. You know, having those systems in place and using time tracking, um, using kind of proper management reporting from day one so that you, you know what your numbers are and you can make properly informed decisions or at least have the data to make those properly informed decisions. Fantastic. Matt and Paddy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Rob. It was really good fun. Thank you for listening to Agency Side, sponsored by Netthriller.com. Visit agencyside.fm to subscribe, read the show notes, and listen to previous recordings. Tune in again soon for our next episode. 